He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on the count of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down, was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, Half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The word of God for the people of God. Charles Wesley didn't adjust to college life very well. Charles was a serious young man. He was serious about his studies. He was serious about his faith. And when he got to Oxford University, having lived a fairly sheltered life up to that point, he was shocked and astonished to discover that most of the other students there were serious only about partying and about staying out late on Saturday night, and they were not at all serious about trying to find a pew on Sunday morning. Far away from home, for the first time in his life, Charles felt isolated, and he felt lonely, until he met William Morgan. Now, William was a student from Ireland. He came from a well-off family, and when Charles met William, they very quickly discovered that they had a lot in common. William was studious, and he was spiritual, and William and Charles very quickly became the best of friends. They spent lots of time together studying and talking about all of the things that college students have to talk about. Finally, Charles wasn't lonely anymore, and then a sort of miracle happened. And not only did Charles have William, but suddenly he also had his brother John back in his life. John was older than Charles. He had graduated from Oxford University a few years before, and suddenly John was offered a fellowship at the university, which meant that John came to be something like a tenured professor. And so William and Charles started spending lots of time hanging out with John at his apartment. It was their crash pad. It was their place to go. And, and they started getting together regularly three or four times a week for a sort of Bible study. Other students came to join them. It was really just like any other campus Bible study that you would find on any university campus today. They would get together and they would pray for each other and they would read the scripture and they would talk about God. It was all very academic. It was all very dry. It was all very safe. 
until one day William Morgan shared a secret with the group. He said, listen, there's something that I haven't told you, and I haven't told you because I was afraid that you wouldn't understand, and I was afraid that you would try to stop me, but I just can't keep this a secret any longer. He said, here's the thing. I have been going and making regular visits to the prison on the other side of town. He said, the first time I went, I went because there was a man who had been condemned to death, and I wanted to meet with him, and I wanted to pray with him and see if there was something I could do to comfort him. He said, but when I went to meet this man, I saw all of these other prisoners and I started talking to them. And do you know what I discovered? I discovered that most of the people who were there in the prison are only there because they've fallen into debt and they can't pay it off, he said. And I, I went back and I went back and I went back and I've been getting to know these people. I've been getting to know their stories. I have been doing what I can to pay off some of the smaller debts. And the thing is, he said, I have felt closer to Jesus there in that prison than I ever have here in our Bible study. When I am there in the prison with those men, I am more aware of the presence of God than I have ever been in my life. My faith is growing by leaps and bounds. God has opened up my heart and begun to transform my life. And I think next time I go, you should come along with me. I want you to experience what I have experienced there in that place. And so they went. John Wesley and Charles Wesley went with William Morgan to the prison and they discovered that he was right. As they were there meeting with the prisoners, as they were there hearing their stories and learning about their lives, as they were in that desperate and fearful place, they felt closer to Jesus than they ever had in all of their hours of Bible study and prayer. And so they started going back. They all went back over and over and over again. They got into a a sort of routine of visiting the prisons, and as they did, they found that their faith was growing and their group was growing, and also their ministry was growing. It was, it was not long before these young men were some of the busiest people on the university campus. John Wesley alone kept up a, a schedule that is, is in some ways almost impossible to believe. On Mondays, he would go to visit the prison. And on Tuesdays, he would go to visit the other prison in the city. On Wednesdays, he would go and spend time with children. As these young men were talking to these men who were incarcerated, they discovered just how difficult it was for their families to be without their husband, without their son, without their father. And so these young college students started pooling their resources and doing what they could to care for the children of the men who were incarcerated. John Wesley hired a woman to to look after some of the poorest children in the city. They started something that was was in between an orphanage and a daycare program for these poor families. John Wesley went on Wednesdays to spend time with the children. On Friday, he went back to the prison. On Saturday, he went back to the other prison. On Sunday afternoons, after worship, he went around to visit some of the widows, some of the most vulnerable seniors in the community. He went to visit the poorhouse. He also kept on meeting with the other members of the group three or four Four times a week for Bible study and prayer. The members of this group, they fasted two days a week, and it was just about this time that they started to attract attention from the other students. As long as they were just getting together to read the Bible, nobody, nobody paid them much attention. But when they started traveling all around the city, visiting the prisons, 
visiting the orphanages, visiting the poorhouse. It was at that point that the other students began to take notice. The other students saw what was happening there on the campus, and they were not impressed. They thought that these, these young men who were constantly spending time going to the prison and the orphanage, they thought that these young men were frankly ridiculous. And so they started coming up with ways to taunt and mock and ridicule these, these young men. They started coming up with nicknames and insults for them. They called them the Holy Club. They called them the Bible Moths. They called them Methodists. That word Methodist was originally, it was intended as an insult. Now, the idea behind the insult is that these young men were, were boring and unimaginative and repetitive. They just kept doing the same things over and over again. Go to the prison, go to the other prison, go to the orphanage, go to the prison, go to the other prison, go to the poorhouse. Uh, read the Bible, study the Bible, fast the day. Read the Bible, study the Bible, go to worship and take communion over and over again, they did the same things week after week after week, somehow believing that this routine, that this method of living was going to bring them closer to God. That word Methodist was originally intended as an insult. But when John Wesley heard it, he said, yeah. He said, that is who we are. That is what we believe. What we have discovered is if you want to meet Jesus, then the very best way to do that is to hang out with his favorite people. In the scriptures, we see that in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus has a special care, a special concern for, for widows and orphans. Jesus has a special care and a special concern for, for prisoners and the poor. And if you want to meet Jesus, what better way to do it than to constantly put yourselves in the places where Jesus is most likely to appear? We go to those places over and over again in order to place ourselves in the path of Jesus that we might meet him, that he might open our hearts and transform our lives. This was William Morgan's contribution to Methodism. He was the one who put the method in Methodism. William Morgan was the one who brought the spirit of Zacchaeus to the Methodist movement. Just a moment ago, Dane shared with us a story from the Gospel of Luke. In this story, we hear, we hear about a man named Zacchaeus. This story in the Gospel of Luke comes from late in the ministry of Jesus. At this point in his ministry, Jesus is at the very height of his fame. Everywhere he goes, great crowds of people gather around him. People believe at this point in his ministry that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that Jesus is the one this world has been waiting for. Jesus is the one who will come and set God's people free. And they want to be close to Jesus. They want to be able to tell their friends, not only did I see Jesus, but I was close enough to him to reach out and touch his robe. Everywhere Jesus goes, great crowds of people gather and press in, trying to be close to Jesus. One day Jesus passes through the city of Jerusalem. And the people in Jer Jericho... The people in Jericho are excited that Jesus is coming through their town. They are eager to see Jesus. They are eager to get close to Jesus. But there is one person in town who is not just eager to see Jesus. There is one person in town who is desperate to see Jesus. His name is Zacchaeus. We know a little bit about Zacchaeus. The Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was wealthy. The Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. The Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was hated and despised by his neighbors. 
What the Bible doesn't tell us is why Zacchaeus was so very desperate to get a glimpse of Jesus. Maybe Zacchaeus was taking stock of his life. Maybe Zacchaeus believed that his sins were so many and so great that only the Messiah could forgive him. Only the Messiah himself could show him grace. We don't know why Zacchaeus was so desperate to get close to Jesus. All that we know is that that day Zacchaeus went to the place where he knew Jesus would be passing by as he made his way through Jericho. But when he got there, Zacchaeus was dismayed to see that every other person in the city had the exact same idea idea he did and they set their alarm clocks earlier when he got there to the road he saw that a great crowd of people had already gathered in order to see Jesus as he passed there were so many people that Zacchaeus couldn't see the road and so he started to try to push and wiggle his way through the crowd but those people were not about to let Zacchaeus slip in front of them especially when they saw who it was all he got for his troubles were two black eyes and a bloody nose and so there he is standing at at the back of the crowd and suddenly Zacchaeus hears a great commotion. A roar goes up from the crowd and he realizes that Jesus has arrived. Jesus is there. Jesus is passing by and he, Zacchaeus, is going to miss it if he doesn't find a vantage point, if he doesn't find a way, if he doesn't find a place where he can see Jesus. And so desperately, in a panic, Zacchaeus starts to look around to see where can I go? What can I do to place myself in the path of Jesus? And that's when he sees the tree. Just up ahead, down the road a little bit, there's a sycamore tree growing by the side of the road. And when Zacchaeus sees those branches stretch out over the road, he knows what he has to do. And so Zacchaeus takes off running. And at this point, we've got to pause the story for a moment to acknowledge that today, all of these years later, it is almost impossible for us to comprehend just what a humiliating moment that would have been for Zacchaeus. Because you see, back in those days, people wore these long flowing robes. They wore these robes that stretched all the way down to the ground. And so if you wanted to get somewhere in a hurry, if you suddenly needed to take off running, there was really only one way to do it. There was only one thing you could do. You had to hitch up your robes and set your legs free. And back in those days, they didn't wear yoga pants underneath their robes. As, as a matter of fact, they, they didn't wear very much of anything under their robes. And so when Zacchaeus hitches up his robes so he can take off running, he is showing the whole wide world a pair of legs that have not seen the sun in years. He is, he is showing the whole wide world whatever the ancient equivalent of tidy whities would be. And, and he takes off running with his white legs, his bare legs flashing and all the hair and everything. The knobbly knees are there for the whole world to see. And people would have noticed Zacchaeus hustling down the road. They would have pointed and laughed at Zacchaeus. And then when Zacchaeus started to shimmy up that tree, people would have bust a gut. People would have doubled over. Suddenly the, the crowd didn't know where to look because they very much wanted to see Jesus, but it was so hard to tear their eyes away from the sight of the most hated man in town, making a complete fool and a spectacle out of himself. And then as he was passing along the road, Jesus looked up and he saw Zacchaeus and a hush 
came over the crowd and everybody leaned in close to try to hear what Jesus was going to say. They leaned in close because they wanted to hear it when, when Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus and laughed at his knobbly knees. They wanted, they wanted to hear it when Jesus looked up and condemned Zacchaeus for his wealth and for his sins. They were expecting Jesus to say something like, Zacchaeus, when the kingdom comes, there's not a tree tall enough in all the world to save you from the wrath of God and the vengeance of your neighbors. They all leaned in close so they could hear Jesus give it to Zacchaeus. And then, just like he did so many times before, Jesus went and said the very last thing that people expected him to say. Jesus looked at Zacchaeus up there hanging out of that tree and he smiled. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I want to eat lunch at your house today. And so Zacchaeus clambered down the tree and he's made his way over. He rearranged his robes and he stood next to Jesus. And then he said, Jesus, I would be honored to have you as a guest in my house today. Not only that, he said, but here and now in front of this whole crowd of people, I commit to giving half of my wealth and half of my possessions to the poor. Not only that, he said, but if I have ever cheated anyone of anything, I am going to pay it back four times over. Zacchaeus put himself in the path of Jesus. Zacchaeus put himself in a position, in a place where he was ready and waiting to have an encounter with Jesus when Jesus arrived. And because he was in the right place at the right time, his heart was opened and his life was transformed. And this is the spirit that William Morgan brought to the Methodist movement. If not for William Morgan, Methodism might never have been anything more than another college Bible study. If not for William Morgan, Methodism might never have had the power to save souls and transform the world. And so maybe some of you are wondering right now, why have I never heard of William Morgan before? Maybe some of you lifelong Methodists are out there wondering, why is this the first time I've ever heard a sermon about William Morgan? Why is there not some, some church in Flint named the William Morgan United Methodist Church? Whatever happened to William Morgan? Well, there's a sad answer to that question. In 1732, after three years at Oxford University, William Morgan fell ill. He probably had tuberculosis, what back in those days they called consumption. And so he went back to Ireland so he could recover with his family. But William Morgan never recovered. He died at the age of 20. And John Wesley and Charles Wesley went on to have long lives and storied ministry careers. And so when we tell the story of how Methodism got started, we talk an awful lot about John Wesley. We talk a lot about Charles Wesley, but we hardly ever mention William Morgan. At this point, William Morgan has become something like a footnote in the story of where Methodism came from. But the spirit of William Morgan lives on. Every time a court streeter goes across the street and stocks the shelves at Crossover Outreach, every time we open the doors of the church and welcome parents and children for a week of family promise, every time we volunteer to serve lunch at the South Flint Soup Kitchen, every time we go to read stories to children in Eisenhower Elementary, 
Every time someone finds nutritious food or employment through the ministries of Asbury United Methodist Church, every time children learn to use their voices and love themselves at the freedom schools of Bethel United Methodist Church and Calvary United Methodist Church, every time we hitch up our robes and go, every time we place ourselves in the path of Jesus, every time we rub elbows with the people he cared about the most, the spirit of William Morgan and the spirit of Zacchaeus lives on in you and me. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for William who wasn't content to sit around in a room reading and talking and praying. We give you thanks for the way he not only put his faith into practice, but the way in which he invited others to come along for the ride. God, without him, we would not be us. Without the leadership of this young adult, Methodism never would have become what it is today. We pray that you would help us to carry on his legacy. Give us courage, give us faith to go to the places where your people live to spend time with the people who Jesus cared about the most, that our hearts might be opened, that our lives might be transformed. In Jesus we pray. Amen.